0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kathy and I uh, just are so glad to be back. We worshiped in a number of different places, but i got to say, there is nothing like worshiping and home. Being with you all and being together as a family is just amazing. I do want to bring you in a little bit of what happened. It was better than we could have ever imagined. God met us all along the way. But let me say again that I am so grateful, so thankful, both Kathy and I, for the gift that you gave us to be able to take this sabbatical for the last couple of months. It was just so, so fulfilling and so enlivening, and we're grateful to that. Let me say I'm also thankful for uh, Cole when he was preaching and Bill as he was preaching. I felt like uh, these men brought some messages and kept us in the Word just the way I would have wanted thankful for the elders granting it i'm thankful for the staff who carried the ball while i was gone and especially pastor brad who had to pick up so much of what i do if we could give it up <clears throat> thanks brother and it, it, it's all the staff right they step in and just a special shout out to to emily when brad had to pick up all the extra work uh, you know that has an impact on the home and everything else. So thank you, Emily, as well. So all this is uh, was possible because of all these different people. Well, I got to say a couple things of what God did. One, you need to know that when you go on sabbatical, you stay on mission. Right? It's not like you take a break from your Christian faith and you're not living on mission. So let me tell you a couple stories. One was we were in Colorado, we were up in the mountains, and we were with a couple. And uh, they hadn't been in church in forever. Some church hurt, and uh, she actually was involved in a singing ministry, and if I named some of the names, you would know them, uh, big record names. Anyways, they somehow uh, broke, but it was just such a great opportunity to talk to them, share with them, encourage them back to the Lord, and then pray over them. It was just a beautiful, beautiful time. Another time came. Uh, we were uh, going to make you a little jealous, but we were in San Diego. I was at the beach. Kathy and I were there with some friends. And I don't know where everybody was at that moment, but I was sitting alone on a bench. And I'm watching the ocean and just, you know, just taking it all in and absorbing it. And it was just a beautiful time, but then this woman, this young woman, comes walking by. And i said would you like to sit down i could tell she wanted to sit but with a man sitting on the bench she maybe felt uncomfortable so i invited her to sit down and she sat down and uh there's a little psychology about benches do you know the psychology of benches let me bring it into you so if the bench is this long and you sit right in the middle what you're telling everybody is stay away this is my bench Right? That's psychology of the bench. Now, if you sit on the very edge of the bench, like right at the edge, the psychology of the bench says, leave me alone. I want to be alone, don't talk to me. But, if you sit just a little off-center, And just somewhere in the edge, not the total edge, but somewhere in there, the psychology of the bench is, hey, I'm available to talk, to be a friend, whatever. I thought I was sitting in the right spot. But there must be some issue going on. Maybe it was some facial hair, I don't know. I heard there was a picture of that going around. So anyways, (laughs) I invite her to sit down, and we just start engaging in the conversation. And we got it to spiritual things, and... By that time, Kathy had come back, our friends had come back, and it was really a beautiful time of sharing Christ with this woman, inviting her into exploring a church in the local area and trying to help her in her spiritual journey. I mean, God just opened up all these kinds of things. So, mission is a big thing. Uh, I do want to share something, though, that's a little bit more on the personal side of something God did. Uh, I'll tell you, we were at a spiritual retreat and we had been seeking the Lord. And one of the beautiful things about a sabbatical is I could have extended time with the Lord. You know what that means? Like you could get up, read your Bible, and there was no appointment to go to. There was no one I had to see. There was nothing I had to do except just be with the Lord. And this is where it gets really hard to describe. Like How do you measure that? How do you even talk about these extended times, right? But it was so sweet. So we're at the spiritual retreat and we're all alone and uh, we're taking the Lord's Supper. And there's a song, and we sing it here at Fox Valley Church. It's called Run to the Father. And there's a lyric in the middle of that song that says, my soul needs a doctor, my heart needs a friend. And I don't know what came over me but at that moment the spirit just grabbed hold of my heart and i wasn't ready for what came next i didn't realize that over the years and i've been a pastor here at fox valley for 30 years uh, i was in campus crusade or crew for 12 years so there's a long history of ministry and when you're dealing with people and I think you'll get this. Uh, not everyone's easy to deal with. But i got to include myself, right? I'm not all that easy. Some of you say, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> so so I'm, I'm meeting with the Lord, taking the Lord's Supper. The song's coming through, and my soul needs a doctor. And then God showed me that I had this basket of regrets. You know what regrets are? These are things that, right, maybe you look back on and you say, why did I do that? Or how did that happen? Maybe it wasn't even a choice I made. It was just circumstances, right? And you look back over this and all these things were flooding into my mind and I I'm, I'm realize that this wasn't just for now. Like I had been carrying a basket of regrets. And it was time to get rid of it and that night I was able to substitute that basket of regrets for the things that the Lord now we call it a bucket list you know I'm not interested in the world kind of bucket list but it was the idea that God wants to fill a new bucket for future things and I just like God just spoke at that moment and said it's time forgetting what lies behind right press on to the upward prize and so god just freed me from all these things that i didn't even know were in my soul and so i'm singing my soul needs a doctor my heart needs a friend right and and it's so true you got to have someone you can trust to deal with all these things and so there was freedom and so there's so many other things i want to share with you uh but I, i know i can't bring it all but that was a very deep moment where God started to release me from some things. But it set me up to come back, and I'm like, I'm more excited about Fox Valley and what God's going to do over the next few years than I think I've been in a long time. Like, I've always been excited, but now it's at a new level. So i'm clapping to the lord i'm clapping to our future because god has some amazing things down the road but this morning we got to get into the word because we're here not to just listen to me right these are great things of what god's doing and i hope that encourages you and i hope that if you have a basket of regrets that you'll deal with it you'll let the lord dump that basket out so that you can find a future hope and future freedom but we need to hear from the lord don't we So, if you have your bible if you have a device would you open or find turn to matthew chapter 21 matthew 21 we're in a familiar story we're in a familiar place Uh, we've been talking about it we've been waving palms but let's hear how God wanted the story described through the eyes of Matthew. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? I'm going to read Matthew 21, verses 1-11. to As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to Me." If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak. Father, as we read Your Word, we know that Your Spirit is stirring. We know that things are happening. We know that people gather in the name of Jesus today in the Lord's house here, Fox Valley Church, and we come. Some are just excited and soaring. Some are carrying heavy weights and others are are just wondering, what are You doing, God? I pray that You would speak to each of us. Encourage each of us as we talk about This area of belief and why some struggle with believing you. So God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would take this passage, you would take this moment and change us forever. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, we need to know what we believe and we need to believe what we know let me just say it again we need to believe what we know or we need to know what we believe we need to know what we believe and believe what we know that's how it's been said so this morning I want to ask and answer one simple question why is belief so difficult as I personalize it, it's why did I carry a basket of regrets when I knew so many scriptures that should have released me? So why is it so difficult to believe? Now, the story we just read is a familiar story for a lot of us. It's not the first time you've heard it, right? So let's just bring us back into the story briefly, right? There's hostility, And the hostility was emanating out of Jerusalem but spilling out through Judea and even up into Galilee. Hostility that was turning against Jesus. And he sensed it. You know that they tried to take Jesus' life several times. There were things that were angering the religious leaders and so there was this hostility, a growing hostility towards Jesus. Now Jesus is this one, this rabbi who had been teaching some amazing things and people would say, whoa, this guy teaches with authority. He had command. When he spoke, people listened. And not only was he speaking and teaching with authority, he would also, what? Open the eyes of the blind. He would heal people that were deaf. People that couldn't walk were now walking. People that had diseases were now being cleansed from things like leprosy. All of this was being talked about. And just a little bit earlier than this moment we're talking about as he's coming into Jerusalem, he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And all of this is being talked about. And they're like, there's a buzz. Well, why? Because they're in Jerusalem now and it's the Passover feast. Passover feast is one of the largest and probably the most kept Jewish feast at that time. And so they were flooding into Jerusalem for the temple. Some people would argue that the city of Jerusalem would swell to two to three times the normal size. And then what would happen would be that people... People would come and they'd have to camp on the outskirts and they're finding places in the edges of the city and they're all over the place. And they're all there for this Passover. And then we're brought into the moment. Jesus now is on the east side of the city. He's up in the Mount of Olives. And if you were ever there, you get on the top of this mountain and it's a beautiful panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem. Now, Matthew didn't capture this moment. Each gospel writer captures different moments. Notice that Matthew threw in a detail that no other gospel wrote, that there was a mother donkey or, and then her colt. He's got two donkeys. And Jesus wrote, of course, the one that had never been ridden. No other gospel writer wrote that. But Luke throws in a detail that no other gospel, wrote, gospel writer put. And that was this. Jesus is looking from the Mount of Olives towards the city of Jerusalem. He's got this panoramic view and he starts to weep. Now he says something that doesn't always translate into English very well. He tells us why he's weeping over the city. And he says he's weeping because they do not know what makes for peace. Well, if you bring it into Hebrew, they do not know what makes for shalom. If you bring it into the vernacular, it would be something like this. They don't know what makes for the good life. See, in our world today, we go after the good life. But how do we define the good life? Well, we start with things, right? We talk about money. We talk about possessions. We talk about accumulation. But Jesus is talking about something far deeper. So when he uses this word peace or the Hebrew shalom, he's talking about the good life that only can come through God. And he's recognizing these people don't really know God. Listen carefully how I'm saying it. They know about God, but they don't really know God. And there's a big difference. So we get into verse 10. Jesus enters the city as He's coming down the Mount of Olives. He goes through the Kidron Valley. He's coming up on the other side. And the people are saying, Who is this? Who is this? Let me just say, People today continue to ask, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? People today are still asking, Who is Jesus? Well, verse 11 tells us the crowd's response. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, right? They're, they're looking. At the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses, writing 1,500 years earlier, is saying God is going to send a prophet. And they're wondering, is this the prophet? Now, there were other speculations. Certainly, Jesus said that He was the Messiah, this anointed one, this one promised from God. But even the disciples didn't grasp the moment. Isn't that hard to believe? Think about this. They spent three years with Jesus. They're walking beside him. They're coming with Jesus. People are singing. They're waving their branches. And they didn't grasp them in the moment. How do I know that? Well, John chapter 12, verse 14 to 16. Look what it says. Jesus, finding a, a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, "'Fear not, daughter of Zion,' Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So this is John capturing the moment through the power of the Spirit. This is interesting. Even though each Gospel writer writes about some of the same things with some different focuses, they never contradict each other. They just bring in more detail. They maybe splash it with a different color. But look what John adds. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, that is, when He rose from the dead, and they saw Him and talked to Him, then they remembered that these things were written of Him and that they had done these things to Him. Well, this raises some questions, doesn't it? What Belief. Why did the disciples who had spent three years struggle? I wrote down a few things because I think they're common to all of us why sometimes you and I struggle to believe God things that short circuit us here's a couple things I wrote down here's one misconceptions of God we have a view that God has to roll in a certain way that he needs to work in my life in your life in a certain way and if he doesn't we get disillusioned and we start to pull away And we say, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, God, you bring suffering into people's lives? That's not the God I want. I want the God that only blesses with good things, right? So we have these misconceptions of God. Here's the second one I wrote down. Fear. That's kind of funny. But I was thinking about how sometimes we're so afraid of the world. We're afraid that if I really embrace Jesus Christ, there's going to be problems. Why? Because the world hates Jesus Christ. Isn't that what it's written? Isn't that what he says? Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. And you know what I'm talking about? If you and I are going to stand on the Word of God, God says something about marriage. He says something. Jesus taught about marriage in Matthew 19. And by the way, when He talked about marriage in Matthew 19, that also meant that He was talking about other issues of homosexuality and whatnot. And as a Christian, we're going to have to come to a place where we say, I believe what Jesus taught. We need to know what we believe. And believe what we know. When we get into gender issues, as serious as they are, and there are serious issues with the psychological trauma of gender dysphoria, I'm not discounting it, but we must never change what the Word of God is teaching. But I think fear causes us to say, wait a minute. That was written 2,000 years ago. I can't believe that. Boy, that does sound kind of archaic, right? And we all hear the arguments going on in the world today. But I think that that causes us to struggle to believe. Here's a third one. Sin. We do not take sin seriously. When we harbor sin in our heart, sin like bitterness or selfishness or self-centeredness, these kinds of sins, they deaden our spirit to the things of God. We see a growing number of men and women getting addicted to pornography. And they just walk in it year after year after year. And as long as we continue to do that, we are going to struggle to believe God. Sin duddens our power. Romans 6, 6 says this, knowing this, our old self, our old way of living was crucified in Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we are no longer slaves to sin. I don't want to be a slave to sin. You don't want to be a slave to sin. And if you're a slave to sin, you're going to struggle to believe God. Here's the last one I wrote down. And there's many more. But this is something as I observe culture. Apathy. There is a growing apathy. I'm not talking about out there in the world. I'm talking about in the church. A growing apathy. First off, Disciplines of the faith. I don't really need to spend time in the Bible. I don't need prayer. I don't need to be around God's people. I can do this on my own. And we begin to get apathetic. And there's a growing apathy in the church. I can make my Christian faith what I want it to be. And what happens is we start ignoring the very voice of Jesus Christ. The Scriptures might use the word instead of apathy sluggards thinking of proverbs we become sluggards to the things of the word we need to know what you believe and believe what you know well as we read a little further jesus again reveals his identity Jesus reveals again more of His identity, right? We see in verses 4 and 5, this took place to fulfill what has spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, that's taken from Isaiah 62-11. Very similar to what's in Zechariah chapter 9. Now, He's quoting Zechariah 9, the rest of that. See your king comes to you. Now most of us aren't that familiar with Zechariah 9, but in Zechariah 9, the whole book of Zechariah is a powerful, prophetic, clear word of what God was going to do. And in Zechariah 9, this chapter, but especially the first part, verses 1 to 9, where we're talking about Zechariah paints this picture of God conquering the enemies so if you read Zechariah 9 verses 1 to 8 what you get is this warrior God moving from the north of Israel down south right into Jerusalem now you would expect it to be the Messiah but it's not the Messiah he's talking about God and then you get to verse 9 that's what we're reading right here in Matthew. See your king comes. This God is now pictured as coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then we find gentle riding on a colt the foal of a donkey. What Zechariah does is he casts this picture of God doing it. And what blew people's minds was they couldn't put together Messiah and God. Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. And Jesus weds them together by being the God-man. Amazing! The God-man. What they couldn't envision and pull together, even though it's all in Scripture and I could unpack this for you, but what they were doing, what Zechariah was showing, was ultimately there was this God-man. So as we look at this, just a few more things about Jesus that gets revealed. One, his supernatural knowledge. Hey, there's going to be a donkey. Go get it. I'm using it. Now some people think that a donkey was just this lowly animal, but you may remember in 1 Kings 1, Solomon was given King David's donkey to ride into Jerusalem as he was taking over kingship. So, the donkey at that time had a very different role than maybe we would think today. But we see Jesus with supernatural knowledge. Notice that Jesus is in control, he's not angry. He's not bitter. He's not yelling at people. He's not fretting. He's not biting his nails. He's not wondering what's going to happen. He's in control. And Matthew is writing this in such a way that we see this Jesus as in control. He then says that he's gentle, that he's lowly, that there, there's a humility about Jesus. The God man <laughs> is humble, he's a king. Your king comes to you, right? This is where it p- picks up some of the anointed or the messiahship. is Most of that is tied to kingship. And it would be from the kingdom of David. And then the big thing is, back towards the bottom, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed are you comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 is their praising God. And that tripped the wire of the Pharisees. Luke chapter 19, he says, the Pharisees, some of them say, tell your disciples to quit praising you. And you know what Jesus says. (laughs) He says, if I tell them to stop, the rocks are going to start crying out. And so what they couldn't handle was that he was receiving worship. Know what you believe and believe what you know. Daniel, he wrote this, People who know their God. Not people who know about God. People who know their God. Listen to what Daniel writes. Will display strength and take action. We need to know God at Fox Ellie Church. I wanted to do a couple other things this morning, but... I need to pause here. I wanted to bring us into Thomas and some of his doubting. But let me just give you a couple things that I wrote down about cultivating belief. I said some things that kill belief. Let me give you just a couple things. First of all, the Word. The Word. Jesus prayed for you. Do you know that? John 17. Jesus said, I pray for my disciples. And towards the end of the prayer, He says, I not only pray for those, my disciples, but I pray for everyone who believes because of them. You and I believe because of them. So what Jesus is doing is He's praying for you, and what He prayed is that you would be set apart in truth. We need to be in our Bibles. Our faith will never get cultivated if we're not in the Word. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of Christ. Secondly, obedience. If sin or disobedience messes up belief, obedience will cultivate and build our faith. If the Lord shows you something and you don't act on it, that's disobedience. We need to be obedient if we want our faith, faith to be enlivened. And then let me just close with this last point. We need each other. Amen. We need each other. It's a deception of the devil to think that you're going to flourish in your faith apart from the church of jesus christ jesus established his church he said i will build it i will build it churches are full of imperfect people keep our eyes on jesus not the people and be a part of a church now you're here so i'm preaching to the choir right but we all know there's a lot of people that are just circling around out there saying i don't need the church and that's a mistake if they want to flourish in their belief, you encourage me. I hope I encourage you. We encourage each other. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this word. Thanks for the truth of your word, the power of your word. Thanks that you change lives when we believe. Thanks, God, for your goodness in our lives. So, Father... Don't let us leave the way we came in. But let our faith be galvanized by the truth of Your Word, the power of Your Spirit, the work of Your people in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to take us into the time with the Lord. It's so good to be back, and I was looking forward to this moment to take the Lord's Supper together. When you came in, you should have received... Uh, some elements. If you did not receive them, could you just raise your hand and our servers will get them to you. And uh, we'll make sure everyone has them. There's power when we believe what Jesus Christ had to say. Know what you believe. We need to know. This is not a time for doctrinal error. This is a time to know the truth and what the truth is. And then we need to believe it. We need to step into it. And so, when Jesus was meeting with His disciples, you realize it was just a few days after He came into Jerusalem on that donkey. Thursday night. He pulls His disciples together in the upper room. The moment was solemn. He washed their feet. He gave them a new command to love one another. And then... They broke bread. And breaking the bread was a picture of a united body. A united body. And it was a picture of him and his body being broken so that all the pieces could come back together. You and I, one body. And what broke all of this was sin. We're going to just take a few seconds. Ask the Spirit of God, is there anything in my life that I need to repent of? Is there anything in my life I've been holding on to that's not honoring you? Is there someone I've not forgiven? Is there some bitterness? Is there some anger? Just release it to the Lord because his body was broken for you. Just 10 seconds, 15 seconds. the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it he gave a blessing and he said as often as you eat this do this in remembrance of me let's take it together that same night he took the cup Passover meal there's four cups he took the third cup not the fourth cup he said he wasn't going to drink the fourth cup which would be a normal part of the Passover meal he said I don't want to drink this cup until I get all my children home and then we're going to drink it together at the marriage supper of the Lamb what a beautiful time that's going to be but the third cup Jesus said the cup of redemption the cup to redeem his people the cup that was a picture and showing the grace of God that he could forgive sin so any sin that the spirit brought to your mind you need to know it's cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed he removes guilt he takes away shame He conquers the fear of death, all of it, because of his blood. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup, blessed it, gave thanks, and he said, as often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. There's not a whole lot more that we can say other than thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for the gift that you gave us in his blood that cleanses us, wipes us clean, makes us white as snow. Oh God, we are eternally, eternally grateful for all you've done through Jesus Christ, your one and only son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.